we've been talking about blood covenant. This is part three of a 62-part series. Okay, I'm just kidding. We're going to end today on the blood covenant. Uh, we, we're going to continue on covenants. Uh, we're going to be talking about salt covenant, sandal covenant, marriage covenant, all that good stuff. Uh, but this is really important. I've made this statement before. If you don't understand Genesis, you're not going to understand Revelation. All right? I've said this before, and I think this is important to say again. <clears throat> Be careful that we don't see today's world events unfolding and try to make it fit the book of Revelation. Okay? We have to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Okay? That's called solo scripture. Okay? We need, to let, we need to understand Genesis, and we need to understand the book of Daniel, and it will help us understand the book of Revelation. Amen? <clears throat> so we're talking about covenant because this covenant runs all through the entire Scripture. God's a very symbolic God. He likes showing himself in things, i.e. the rainbow, right? We're going to talk about the rainbow in a few, few weeks and what it means and the purpose, and you begin to get an understanding of, like, why would somebody want to hijack this symbol? Why would somebody want to do something and take something out of context and turn it into something that it's not? Well, we're going to find out why. Amen? This blood covenant we've been talking about in the last two parts, we talked about the exchanging of robes, which is the confusion of identity. When I put on your coat and you put on my coat from a far away, we may look like who we're not. Amen? And say, well, that sounds negative. It's not. Imagine, if you will, your enemy is hunting you down. And you put on Jesus' robe, and he puts on yours. And so the enemy thinks, aha, I've got him. Only to be, and he spins him around, it's Jesus. Right? Your identity's been confused for the goodness of your sake, for the enemy doesn't know, who am I fighting here? Amen? We talked about the exchanging of belts. God saying, hey, I'm going to give you my strengths, and I'm going to take on your strengths. You say, but God, I don't have any strengths. He says, I know, but I'm still going to take them, and I'm still going to give you mine. The exchanging of weapons, which is the uh, symbolic understanding of we are fighting each other's enemies. No longer do I fight alone, but I fight with you by my side, and I will fight your enemies along your side. We equate that to man, but we're talking about God. Remember, there was a suzerain treaty, or covenant, if you will, and that's when a higher makes treaty or covenant with a lower, right? We are lower than God, amen? We, what do we offer him? What do we have to bring him except ourselves? And that's all he's asking for. And the fourth thing was the blood sacrifice. This is where they actually cut the heifer's and they cut the animals and laid them out. I'm going to read to you right quick. I did not give this to them in the back. It's okay. It'll only take just a second. But in Hebrews chapter 10, let me read this, this covenant. Verse 16 says, <clears throat> this is Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, says, This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. 
And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, can we boldly enter into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus? By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and to good works, and let us no longer neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Hallelujah. He's saying, listen, here is this new covenant that I'm making with you. And let's don't take it lightly. Let's understand what's happening. God can be trusted with this covenant. That was the blood sacrifice. We see that on the cross when Jesus shedding his blood and him doing it willingly for you and I. No one made him go do that. Do we understand that death would have been an escape for Jesus, but you can't kill an innocent man. Jesus said, no man takes my life. I willingly lay it down. I give it up. You can't take it from me. <coughs> Excuse me. And when he had finished what he is doing, he said, it is finished. And he gave up his life. So we see this. The walk of death, when they actually walked and mingled in that blood sacrifice, the loss of personal identity. This is where Jesus was talking about in the New Covenant. <coughs> Excuse me. If you try to find your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. If you give me your life, you're going to find life. This is what he was talking about here in this picture of the covenant. A mark on your body. We saw that, that they actually would... Uh, cut their palms, they'd put them together, and they would become, quote-unquote, blood brothers. That was a left hand, traditionally speaking. They would cut the palm, and they would shake hands. This, this uh, hand clasp, if you will, was wrist to wrist. Do you ever wonder why, when men see each other, they go, hey, how you doing? It goes all the way back to a covenant idea. We're brothers, and I'm extending my hand of covenant to you. Next time you shake somebody's hand, maybe be like, hmm, what am I doing? It's an act. It's symbolic. So this mark on your body that God chose for the Israelites was circumcision. Thank God we have a new and better covenant. I just heard women that time. The new covenant says, listen, Yes, you are to be circumcised, but it will no longer be like the old covenant. It's going to be a circumcision of the heart. Now, we point to the heart, but how many know that in the Bible, we're not talking about that muscle that pumps blood through your body, but we're talking about the heart of man, the the innermost being of man. And he said, I'm circumcising this. I'm cutting away the dead flesh, the worldly carnality, and I'm going to give you my spirit. And that's how you're going to be marked. Your body's going to be marked for me. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Then the next one was the pronouncement 
of blessings and curses. It's interesting. <coughs> if you have your Bibles, go to Galatians. Go to Galatians 3. We're going to talk about this real quick. I don't have this one on the board either. I did that on purpose so those of you who brought your Bibles would have to turn pages. And I've got the microphone. In Deuteronomy, we see them speaking blessings and curses. And it says, blessed are you in the city, blessed are you in the country, blessed coming in, going out. You guys all know those things, right? Blessed are your fields, blessed are your animals, blessed is your womb, blessed are all these things. Blessing, 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 if you keep the covenant. But it says, if you don't, everything's cursed, right? Because you're not fulfilling your end of the covenant and so everything becomes cursed to you in Galatians we see this and I'm reading out of the Amplified Christ purchased our freedom and redeemed us from the curse of the law and its condemnation by becoming a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs or is crucified on a tree cross the reason you don't see new covenant curses is because there are none in Christ. Christ absorbed them. He took them into his own self. It says Christ became a curse for us. He didn't, he, he never knew sin, but he became sin for us. He paid the price that we could not pay. Next we have the covenant meal. Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life. We're taking him in. That's why we see in 1 Corinthians 11 24 and 25, Paul's given the disciples some instructions. And he says, And on that day God gave thanks, or Jesus gave thanks to God for it, and he took and broke in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. What was he saying? You take this in, when you eat this, you're taking me into you. At this covenant meal, the men would sit down. They would feed one another, symbolizing that I'm taking you into me and you're taking me into you. We are going to be indistinguishable. Do you understand? Do you see this picture from the exchanging of robes all the way down? It's all about this beautiful picture of people are not going to be able to tell us apart. Some of you who have siblings, y'all may look different. You may, especially boys, we just pester the fool out of each other. You know what I mean? We can jump on our brothers and we can call them names and all kinds of stuff, but don't you get on my brother, right? Because you ain't going to fight just him. You've got to fight all of us, right? I saw a little meme the other day, and it was about the armed forces, and it was talking about these Marines making fun of this airman. And they were just berating this guy. And the whole thing at the end was, listen, we can do that, but you can't. Basically, they're saying, we're going to mess with our fellow military guys, but if one of them needs us, we're going to be there. Right? So this idea of we're going to become one, you, you, we're, we're not separatable. Right? We are going to be one. And then today, we want to talk about the ninth step in this covenant. And it is the exchanging of names. 
taking on someone's name. So we see this. Let's go to Romans. I believe I've got this one on the board. Yeah, Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We've all heard that. Y'all are looking around like, yeah, your point. But do you know what it means? Before I describe this scripture and what it means, I'm going to give you a picture of it. So in the marriage tradition, a man and a woman, they come down to the front, and there's a question, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Usually the dad says, me and her mother, whatever. So they come together, and they go through this ceremony, all right? And at the end of it, as I've officiated many weddings, one of the things that I say at the end is, it gives me great honor and pleasure to be the first to introduce to you Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Jones, Snodgrass, whatever. How does that happen? So in the old days when a woman was to be married to a man, she would take on his name. If we go back to the ancient world and we understand that women were looked at more like property than they were as humans, okay? You can take offense to that or you can say that's just how it was. We've come a long way, amen? Jesus never treated a woman like property, okay? He treated them like humans. He treated them like people. We see this at the woman at the well. We see this with a woman who was uh, accused of adultery. He did not treat them like property, all right? So if anybody wants to say, well, that gospel, stop. You're wrong, okay? The custom of the day was that that woman would take on the husband's last name. The reason they did that was because that way she was entitled to his inheritance. Y'all didn't hear me. When she married that man, she was entitled to his inheritance. If he died prematurely, they could not withhold his real estate, his cars, his donkeys, whatever. They were hers because she had his last name. In this covenant process, when you cut covenant with someone, you would exchange names. We talked about this. If Darren and I exchanged covenant, if we cut covenant together, I would be known as Monty Van Onry, I mean Van Orney Dean, right? He would be known as Darren Dean Van Orney. So when he would introduce himself to you, you would know, oh, they must have cut covenant with the Dean family. So if my family was really big, which it is, that would mean we have a lot of warriors. That would mean maybe we had a lot of possessions. What's mine is yours, what's yours is mine. The Van Ornies and the Deans have cut covenant. If he came to me and said, man, I need to borrow your tractor, I could not deny him. We are in a covenant relationship. I hope you're seeing what I'm, the picture I'm trying to paint. God, you have what I need. And you said, in covenant language, what's yours is mine and what's mine is yours. God, I need what you have, but hang on just a minute. I, gotta, I didn't mean to do that. 
Well, God, I got three dollars. How about if I keep three and I'll owe you tomorrow? I'm not talking about just money. It's just fresh on our mind. You know, there's two things that I can't talk about with you, about you, your kids and your money. And yet God loves them both, man. He doesn't love your money. He loves it when we put our trust in him. When we understand covenant and we withhold nothing from him. Because I promise you this, the scriptures even say, he withholds nothing from you. He doesn't say, "Uh uh-uh. No, no, no. He might tell you no occasionally. Remember what I, when Abraham, when he was talking to him and he said, man, Eleazar is going to be my heir. And God said, no. God told Abraham, no, Abram, no. It's a good thing he told him no because he said, I need to change your thinking, Abraham. You're going to have a son. Abraham still got it all messed up <laughs> because his wife's like, I am barren. What am I going to do? Won't you just have my maidservant? And then she got mad. I'm not preaching that. <laughs> that a woman would make a decision and then get mad. I'm not going there. Thank you, Lord. But this covenant relationship, this covenant language, they would exchange names. Listen, in the new covenant, we take on his name. We are called Christians. Christian. Christian. The I-A-N means one who is of someone else. Here's the beautiful part. He took on mine and your name. He's not Jesus Dean. He's not Jesus Smith. But he calls himself over and over and over. Let's go to Mark 2.10. And it says this. It's on the screen. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking, has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Get up, walk, grab your mat, come on. What is, what is Jesus calling himself here? The Son of Man. Of man, He is taking on man's name, mankind. I am the son of mankind. I am a Christian. I belong to someone else. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to make myself put on this earth suit. And I'm going to be just like you in the sense that I'm going to be tempted in all areas. But yet I'm not going to sin. Because here in a little while, I'm going to have to go to a cross and become the perfect covenant keeper. Because I know you can't. So I'm going to do it for you. This is the exchanging of names. So what does Romans 10, 13 mean? It says, those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't mean when your car is careening off the road and you yell, Jesus! Well, I heard them. They took their last breath. And as they did, they said, Jesus. So they must be saved. That's not what this is talking about. When you call upon the name, that is to take on someone's last name. That is calling upon the name. Those who call upon the name, those who get married to Jesus and take his last name, are entitled to his inheritance. This is the covenant picture. You ever wonder why the enemy wants to mess up this whole marriage idea? 
Do you ever wonder why the enemy is so hell-bent, if you will, on causing marital division? Because he understands the importance, but we don't. We've been so neutralized by our thoughts. I don't know any other way to say this. My heart's not to be mean or facetious. It's not about shacking up. It's not about just, well, I love them. Do you love him? And what I was saying was that if we don't understand this, the enemy can use it to destroy us. Oh, there you are. I know this ain't popular. Listen, when you go to the doctor, you got something wrong in your body. And you sit down and he says, hey, I got some news for you. You've got whatever, right? And you go, huh, what is it? Well, it's some fungus on your toenail, but we can get rid of it. Okay. Right? Whatever it is. If you go to the doctor and he says, man, your, your blood pressure's up a little bit. And you go, okay. I want you to take all these medications. You go, ooh, hang on. <laughs> I remember one time Sherry was pregnant with, I believe it was Adam. And Dr. Pierce got on to me. Yes, yes, it was Adam. <laughs> she was pregnant with Adam, and we go to the doctor, and uh, I don't know if y'all know him or not, Dr. Pierce, um, that uh, Mercy, for he delivered all of our kids with the exception of Chera, and he actually came down and checked on us, made sure she was going to be okay. I'll have to tell you about Chera's birth one of these days. That was a miracle in and of itself. So, But um, we sat down, and he was like talking to your grandpa. And so he comes in, and, and he wasn't the typical doctor. And what I mean by that is if you've been to the doctor here late, if you're a doctor and you're listening to me on Facebook, you might want to turn this off. <clears throat> they have been so pressed into a mold that they have to see X amount number of patients that doctoring has kind of gone out the window. What I mean by that is to sit down and be able to talk with someone and find out what is really going on. So he noticed some things that were not necessarily uh, good with Sherry. And so he sits us down. And he says, hey, and you gotta, you got to see this picture. Right? He's like nine foot tall, right? He did not have six fingers or six toes. <clears throat> Some of y'all been here on Wednesday nights know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all looking at me like I got six fingers and six toes. So he sits down in this chair, and he kind of careens back in, and he says, so tell me what's going on, Sherry? Like I'm not even in the room. And she's like, well, you know, and she starts off and she says, and he starts digging a little deeper. Well, at that time, Sherry didn't like me a lot. Okay, she did. She was frustrated, okay? She's pregnant. Things aren't going perfectly the way we want to go. There was a little stress in the house. So he looked at me and he said, Monty, do not stress her. You gotta help her. You gotta and I was like, okay. He doctored us without any medicine. He got to the root of the problem and he spoke to us. Now I had two options. I could come out there and say, you know what, we're never going back to that doctor. Or I could be like, oh, 
He's right. See, when you hear sometimes these messages, you go, oh, I don't like that. You know why? Because your spirit is bearing witness, and, and it's going, ugh. So you've got a couple options. You can be offended at me, and I'm okay with that. I'm just going to tell you, you're not offended at me. Make it right. What am I talking about? Do things the way God said. You want, how do I say it? I'm just going to say it. Man, I'm, I'm already in the deep end of the pool. I might as well just swim, baby. <laughs> when you, the world has so distorted this marriage covenant, right? Well, it's just a piece of paper. Then sign it. If it don't mean anything. Well, you know, see, hey, I think that, well, stop. You are looking for a covenant blessing with no commitment. That's what you're looking for. I'm not preaching to anybody. I'm saying, listen, here's the beauty of it all. Jesus said, repent, make it right, keep on trucking. It's easy. It's easy. This is the covenant language he was talking about. These people took it serious. Can I tell you this? This is why the Israelites, why the Hebrew people, had such a healthy understanding of sex. They weren't easily influenced. Don't get me wrong. They had their problems, okay? Even today... They talk about things with their children about what this covenant looks like. I've, I've said this before. We know that when, without going through the whole deal, somebody's going to hear this and they're going to take it out of context. They're going to, but I, I got to make this point. When sperm is introduced into a woman's body, at first, white blood cells show up and they kill the sperm because it's foreign to them. That's what your white blood cells are there to do. Any doctors in the house? Am I right? Okay. What happens, though, is that this particular doctor I was reading, the Lord prompted him to do a study. Uh, he was dealing with infertile people, okay? And the Lord said, I want you to do a study. This is, I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up a 12, 14-page uh, document in a couple of sentences. What he noticed is that when left alone, and what I mean by that is there's no intervention with men, the man and woman in a, in a covenant marriage, they would continue to have unprotected sex. We're all adults. We can talk about things. There was a time when the sperm would show up into the woman's body. White blood cells would come, but they would not kill it. They would grab a sperm, and they would take it back through the woman's lymph node system. The lymph node system is where your DNA is made and produced, okay? Guess what would happen after a little bit further of this? The white blood cells stopped showing up because the Bible says the two shall become one. And when the sperm was introduced into the woman, the woman's body said, it's just us because they recognized the DNA. If we're talking to our girls and our boys about this, if I said, how many boys' DNA do you want coursing through your body? Hey, boy, 
How much of your DNA do you... This is what we start talking about soul ties. Heavy in the room this morning. I feel like about 60% of you love me. I ain't quite sure about the other 40 yet. God's very symbolic. He loves symbolism because he wants to show you his goodness. He wants to remind you of his goodness. And you go, well, what about stop? Stop. Listen, he says that his blood takes away all of your sins. All of them. Yeah, but what about, shh, shh, you didn't hear me. All of your sins. All of them. That's the beauty of it all. We have to be careful that when we look at somebody, maybe in a situation where we go, oh, hang on, let's just make this thing right. Let's just, let's just make it right. It's good. It's okay. Right? We've all made mistakes. The exchanging of names. Can you imagine this wedding that's going to take place? In Revelations, it talks about this groom coming back for his bride. We're his bride. What do we do in this wedding? We exchange rings, the symbol of our eternal love. I'm not trying to be mean. I, I want to be as, as sensitive as I can. But there's a reason that the church doesn't look any different than the world. We're not understanding our covenant rights. We're not understanding what it means to enter into covenant with someone. When we get into the marriage covenant, you think it's deep now. <laughs> Some of you would be like, I'm going to miss those couple of weeks. I don't think I can handle this. It's amazing what God has designed for you and I. He is so good. He's so loving and so kind. Lastly, probably one of the most craziest ideas. <clears throat> so the tradition of the covenant dictates that in order to seal the deal, there's a last and final step, the tenth step, and that is the exchanging of the oldest male children. So if Darren and I were to cut covenant, he would send you the oldest, Elisha? Samuel. He would send Samuel to me, and I would send Jonathan to him, and we, they would be raised in their covenant father's house. Okay? It's the real deal. All of these things, okay, meals, we're hugging, we're blood walking, all this stuff. And at the very last, it says, okay, we're going to exchange sons, oldest male. When you understand covenant, you understand the symbolism that's there. <laughs> it makes the curse that came on the Egyptians. Why the first, why the first male son? Because you've rejected me over and over and over. And now my son is going to reject you. 
your oldest male son. The symbolism of that, the most important thing that those families had was their male son because he was the one that would inherit it all. He had the birthright, all of this. So remember, God is cut in covenant with Abraham at this time, and he puts Abraham in a deep sleep, <coughs> Excuse me, and he says, I can't cut covenant with Abraham because he's not a perfect covenant keeper, nor will he be. So we saw this flaming pot and this, uh, or excuse me, this smoking pot and this flaming uh, flame, this fire come down. That flaming fire was Jesus. He was in the beginning. He was in the covenant. He's going to be at the end. He comes in and he cuts covenant. And he says, okay, Dad, so watch this. Genesis 22. That's the very first book in your Bible. Let's go to it. Genesis 22. Hallelujah. We're going to read verse 1 through 5. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Let me just stop here for just a minute. The world loves to read the Bible and find problematic ideas. And they will read this scripture and they will say foolish things. Like, what kind of God are you serving that's going to require you to sacrifice your children? I thought you were against abortion. I thought you were against... We are. That's not what's happening here. You've taken something out of context. Now, if we, we know the story. If we would see I, uh, excuse me, Abraham plunge that knife into Isaac's chest and kill him and sacrifice, you might have an argument, but you don't. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be stern and harsh. It's time Christians stand up. You are a fool to believe this. Okay? Let's go on. The next morning, Abraham got up early. Let me go back. What does verse 1 say? God tested Abraham's faith. Verse 1. What's this all about? Can I just say this? God knows what's going to happen, okay? He's testing Abraham's faith. Now, Abraham, you've done these nine steps. Are you willing to do the tenth one? Are you willing to seal the deal with me, right? Verse 3. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkeys, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little further. We'll worship there, and then we will come right back. Now watch. Types and shadows. What's going to happen in the Old Testament is going to happen in the New Testament. If you don't understand Genesis, you don't understand Revelation. Let's look at verse 4. On the third day, everybody say third day. When the Lord told Abraham, take your son Isaac to the mountain, I want you to sacrifice him. In Abraham's heart, Isaac was dead. 
on the third day. Do you know anybody else in the New Testament who took a three-day journey? <laughs> Do you know anybody else in the New Testament who put wood on his back and carried it to the place of sacrifice? Isaac put wood on his back, carried it to the place of sacrifice. Isaac was already dead in Abraham's heart for three days. But listen to Abraham's faith. Mm. Verse 5. He's, he's talking to his servants. Stay here with the donkeys, boys. Abraham didn't say, well, boys, appreciate you being with me. It's a rough day, boys. He said, hey, guys, stay here with the donkeys. Watch this. Abraham told his servants, the boy and I are going to travel a little further. We are going to worship there, and then we will be right back. But wait a minute. God told Abraham to kill the boy. Abraham says, I don't know how you're going to do it, God, but I trust you. Because we just went through nine steps of covenant, and you didn't bring me this far to wig out on the 10th step. I don't know how you're going to do it. You promised me this son. Maybe I'm going to plunge it in his chest and you'll bring him back. I don't know how you're going to, but I trust you. I know that if the boy's dead, this lineage stops. But you said, but you said, but your word said, So he says, we'll be right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. We know the rest of the story. Isaac says, hey, where's this sacrifice going to come from, Daddy? He says, don't worry, the Lord's going to provide. He's Jehovah Jireh, right? So we later see what happens in this story, but I want you to see what was going on. Abraham did not withhold his oldest son from God. So watch this. Let's go to verse 15. <clears throat> then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond numbers, like the stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. The same thing he's told Abraham. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Guess what? God's a man of his word. He did not withhold his only male child but he completed that sacrifice and because he did Galatians 3.14 says this through Christ Jesus God has blessed the Gentiles say I'm a Gentile with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised 
Holy Spirit through faith. God did it all. He showed us what it was looking like in a man's life called Abraham. And then he said, I'm fixing to do this in this new covenant. <coughs> you have a better covenant that Jesus is mediating. And because of it, blessings are going to come to you. And guess what? Curses won't. If you believe, if you put your hope and trust in this one. Listen, you may be in a place in your life where it looks like you've got a dagger up and you're fixing to plunge it. Or maybe God's saying, hey, listen, I need you to take a trip up the mountain. You're like, I don't know, Lord. And we say stupid stuff, you know. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat a worm, right? Mully grub. Everybody sees you coming. They go the other way, and you go, I don't understand why. Because when they see you, they say, how are you doing? Oh, my God. Oh, why was the love despair agony on me? Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. You may not say it in that many words, but that's what you're saying. And people go, oh, my goodness. You talk about a Debbie Downer, right? Abraham told his servants, hey, you boys, wait right here. We're going to go up the mountain. And his faith was in God. We're going to worship. We're going to come back. I don't know how it's going to happen, but we're going to do it. All right? His hope was in him. His hope was in God. Lastly, Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 says this. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. God not only was willing, but he did send his son to become our perfect sacrifice. Once and for all. No more. That's where we're at. Stand with me. Ten steps to this covenant. All of them have, we could literally spend weeks on each step. I hope that you see this beautiful picture. This blood covenant is how you enter the kingdom of God. There's no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What is the way? The way is the blood covenant. Some of you have entered in to the kingdom of God through the blood covenant, but you're staying there. God wants you to move. God wants you to move deeper and deeper and deeper. He wants to bring you to the marriage covenant. Well, I got saved back in 72. Good for you. What are you doing with it? You should be maturing. If in 1972 you're battling the same things that you're battling now, you're stuck in the blood covenant. It's time to move past that. We're going to talk about what does that look like? What does that mean? You came in to this thing as a servant. Blood covenant. It wasn't until I started understanding covenant that I understood this thing that Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. There's a transition that takes place. His boys had gotten there. They had not arrived perfectly. But he was speaking those things that are not as though they were. He was calling them into their inheritance. He was saying, listen, a slave doesn't know his father's business. 
I didn't understand that until I understood covenant. How could, what are you talking about, God? <coughs> He's saying, a, a master doesn't go tell all of his servants about all of his business, but his friends, he does. Are you saying I'm not saved? No, I'm saying quit being a servant of the Most High and transition to a friend of the Most High. Proverbs tells us that friendship with God is where he reveals the secret workings of his covenant. Those are friends. Some of you don't even tell your family all of your deep, dark secrets. But you've got a friend or two that you'll pour your guts out to, right? That's what we're talking about. Jesus says, listen, you enter as a servant, but I'm going to transition you. I want you to walk through these covenants. I want you to understand what you're getting yourself into. And if we, you know, we say that, it's like, what am I getting myself into? Oh, look what I got myself into. Look at this. If you got a phone call today, hey, listen, sorry to tell you, but Uncle Roy passed away. Oh, man. Yeah, but he left you $54 million. I love Uncle Roy. <laughs> Thank you, Uncle Roy. <laughs> Have I ever met Uncle Roy? <laughs> when you came into this kingdom, you got an inheritance. That's more than $54 million. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it's priceless. You could not put a price on it. As a matter of fact, you can't pay for it. It's a gift. And we live like orphan children. It's not a daddy problem. Are we living as good sons and good daughters? Or we still have a servant mentality? Listen, you have to come into this kingdom as a servant. No, no questions. How long are you going to stay there? It's up to you. One of the things that we love in the movies, when we watch all these movies and our heroes, is their loyalty. We call it our ride or die. Would Jesus introduce you to his heavenly host as his ride or die? Or would he be like, well... I want to hear him say, well done. Now, good and faithful servant. Not servant in a bad way. Doulas. Someone who has given their entire life away for the master's good. I've not arrived. I'll be transparent. But I'm pressing on. I've left the starting blocks. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy. Thank you for showing us in these children of Israel. Thank you for calling out Abraham. Thank you, Lord, that Scripture records in the Old Covenant and in the New of his faithfulness. That you referred to him as a friend of God. Oh, to be called that in the heavenlies. Father, we thank you that you have seen fit to give us your only son. You have not withheld him from us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't wait for us to get right. But when he died, he made things right. And we say thank you for it. 
Help us, Holy Spirit, to live our lives in such a way as we're good sons and good daughters, that we understand this covenant that we have made with you, and that, Father, we will do our best to keep it, and, Father, we'll understand of the rights, the privileges, the power, and the authority that you have given to us who call upon your name, who have received your name. We thank you for it now. In Jesus' name, amen.